Uh, it's great to have you uh, with us and uh, wherever you may be watching uh, from here at Door of Hope. Uh, we love to live stream for those who are sick, who aren't able to make it to today's service, who are those who are interstate, maybe traveling for some reason, and uh, those uh, overseas even. Uh, but we do love to reach regional Tasmania here uh, at Door of Hope, and uh, we connect with more and more churches who are really plugging into what we're doing here at Door of Hope, and so we've got more information coming about that to you real, real soon. But we are here in week four. Can you believe it? We've made it. Week four of our 2020 vision. I do want to say a big thank you. Uh, This has been a huge team effort. I often stand here and I said right from week one, I never feel alone when I stand up here. I've got the support of the Holy Spirit, of course. I've got the support of my wife and our staff team and a wonderful congregation. And by the way, if you're being invited here today, and I know there are people here today for the very first time, we have people here um, every single week for the very first time. And I encourage you, if this is your first time and you walk out and say, nah, that wasn't for me, it's a bit like going to the gym, isn't it, for the first time and saying, nah, that wasn't for me because my muscles hurt. And so this morning, you may be experiencing something that may just get to your heart that's hurting a little bit, whatever that is about. I don't fully know. I don't really want to know. I'm happy to know. But maybe for you this morning, this is your first time. Can I ask you to give us a second chance, maybe even a third chance, a fourth or a fifth chance to hang in there long enough to maybe grow spiritually? Because if you're going to go to the gym to grow physically, you're going to have to go at least more than once to get physically fit. It's the same in the church. And so we believe that this, as Daryl alluded to before, a great place to grow spiritually, a great place to do life with people. This is a place not for perfect people, by the way. Not for perfect people. We're going to talk a bit about that here today as a part of our 2020 visions. But let me just go back and quickly say, I want to say thank you to the team. A wonderful team effort. There's a lot that goes on here behind the scenes. I'm eternally grateful for a great team and a very supportive congregation. But this is my fourth and final week for a little while. Uh, And so we're going to move on to our new series next week, uh, which is part three in the Gospel According to Luke. We've called it Certainty. And so we continue on next week. I'll give you a bit of a break from myself for a few weeks. So, we've been asking, let's get into this. We've been asking, as we've been leading up to this, this last 12 months or so, we asked a few questions about our future. We asked the question, well, what will gain the most ground for the kingdom of God over these next five years? Now, if we made only three goals, what would they be? And we chose a very small number of very significant goals. Do you remember what they are? Just, just in case you've forgotten, let me just remind you, here are the goals, and we're inviting you to be a part of these goals. Let's have a look. Here are the goals. Growing hope, growing invitations, and growing mercy. And you might remember a, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that somebody came to me after the first week and said, Steve, did you see there's an acrostic going on with the, those three words, uh, hope, invitations, and mercy, H-I-M, growing him in our city. And so we, we talked the first week about growing hope. What we meant by that very quickly is that we believing we're going to see a thousand stories, a thousand stories of hope and transformation by the year 2020. And we're keeping those stories and we're not recording those stories from four or five years ago, only from a couple of weeks ago. And so we really invite you to send us in your stories whether you've experienced hope or transformation in whatever way that may look like, send them in to us via Hope Central or email or social, whatever. Just get your stories into us because we're collecting those stories. But also by the 2020, 
We are believing for a thousand people to be in regular attendance each and every Sunday here at Door of Hope by 2020. The next goal we talked about last week, we're an invitational church. As I said, you may, be, may have been invited here today and we welcome you. It's great to have you here. This is a part of our goal. We want to see us being an invitational church. And so that's goal number two, to grow our invitations. And the third goal is growing mercy. Now we've sung a song, we've read a passage here this morning about what that could possibly mean. And I'm asking the question, I'm hopefully going to answer it for us this morning, is why growing mercy? Why growing mercy? I think we've got a couple of slides to support this. And it looks like this. Because mercy is not just about meeting people's needs, although we will meet people's needs physically, emotionally, and socially. It's about helping them get spiritually right with God. And introducing them to Jesus because he's the ultimate provider of mercy. And so our vision for this goal is to emphasize and strengthen our organizational Good Samaritan by introducing Jesus and inviting a response while we meet the spiritual, emotional, physical and social needs of others. And of course, when you have a goal, it's good to measure. Well, how, how are we going to measure that goal? And so this is how we're going to measure this goal. That we look forward to seeing 100 explorers attending Alpha each year, 100 regular conversations per week about Jesus and invitations to respond, and 20 referrals per week to the Hope Pathway. Once again, as we look at those things, and we look at these figures, and we look at these big numbers, and they are big, but let's remember we serve a big God. And we don't need to know all those intricate details. I, we, are going to help us over these next couple of years really get hold and grasp hold of what this looks like. We're going to help train us in these three goals of what it looks like to grow hope, to grow invitations, and also grow mercies. Anyone excited in this place this morning? Come on, I need you. I need to hear you. I need to hear you. <laughs> because here's, here's what we're going to do. I want to ask you a question, and we're going to get into the text this morning. It's the text that's already been read to us this morning. Have you ever been blindsided by a question? You know, those times, uh, maybe we have been caught off guard, where you weren't necessarily expecting a question like that. Maybe to test you. Maybe it puts you in that awkward position with, well, I don't really know how to answer that question. Well, we're in good company. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus lived through pretty much daily during his ministry time within his life. You see, he'd show up to people's houses and a lot of the times there'd be business people there, there'd be community people there, there'd be officials and lawyers and teachers who were constantly trying to catch him, who were trying to test him. And they would see if he would react and say something off the cuff. One of these particular gatherings I'm talking about was one night, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and said this, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, to you and I, this is a pretty simple question, isn't it? Pretty simple question, and we think it's a pretty simple answer. But as you look deeply into this, you look at the context surrounding this, as you suspect the text, he could easily talk about heaven, 
He could easily talk about, well, what happens after death and the, the eternity kind of answer. But this is not what the expert in the law is actually asking. The Jewish context, what's happening here is when you heard the phrase eternal life, it meant, how do I live with God now? And so the expert in the law stands up and he puts Jesus on the stand and everyone at the party who's gathering around that night becomes the jury. And they're looking at Jesus, waiting to hear what he has to say. And the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers with a question. You find that throughout the Gospels quite a bit. He answers the questions because there's a lot to relearn and there's also a lot to unlearn. And so he, he gets the person and he asks them a question. He puts them it puts it back onto them. He gets them to play their cards. And so it kind of irritates people, but it goes on in verse 26 and says this. What is written in the law? He replied. He puts it back to him. He says, how do you, how do you read it? Let's, let's just, before we go any further in the story, let's understand the Jewish context and what's happening here. And this, was, this is what is happening. You see, the law, the law in the Jewish mind at the time was what, theologians? Was the Torah. What's the Torah? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've got it. These are the first five books. This is the Torah. And within these five books, there are 613 commandments. And these 613 commandments governed every aspect of their lives at the time. And there was this great debate going on between certain rabbis. I won't go into that necessarily this morning. So this great debate about, well, what's the second greatest commandment? So when Jesus asked, well, how do you, how do you interpret the law? It goes on in verse 27 to 28 and it says this. He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said this, you have answered correctly. Do this and you, with, you will live. Now, this conversation's going on between the expert of the law. There's a group of people around there waiting. They're trying to catch him off guard. And the lawyer isn't satisfied. Surprise, surprise. The lawyer is not satisfied. They never very, really, really are. <laughs> and so Jesus remains on the stand yet again. And the lawyer puts another question to him. Here goes the next question. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus another question. Well, who is my neighbor? Once again, Jewish context. Let's go to contextual here. It's very important that we read the Bible in context, is it not? But then it applies to us today. What's it saying through the Holy Spirit to us Today, yes, the Bible does, by the way, remain very, very relevant in spite of what you may hear, very relevant to us today. Jesus remains on the stand. And by the way, this is a great question. This is a great question. In those days, neighbor, the word neighbor, was defined by someone who was close by or someone in your own tribe. Not necessarily, but maybe someone from your own country. It definitely did not mean those pagans. It definitely did not mean the Gentiles. And it definitely did not mean those Samaritans. Definitely not. 
the neighbor word as we hear it today actually meant it was people like us who vote like us, who dress like us and act like us. Everyone else, everyone else is not worthy of our love. In fact, they're going to be our enemy. They're our enemy. And so he doesn't answer the question directly, who is my neighbor? He goes on and tells the story. And this is the story that was read to us before. This is a very, very popular story. And it's called the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, most Aussies wouldn't actually realize just how much this parable, in fact, I would say going further, the teachings of Jesus has helped frame the values of our country. And that's why if you're a, in, you're a visitor here today and you're asking, what's this church thing about? What's this Christianity thing about? That's why we as a church, that where this world is changing, this, this, and this, and this, that there are values that still remain in our world that bring honor to God and glorify him and help people live in a civilized way. And this parable has helped frame those values which has, uh, is, which, which has formed our country profoundly. So let's go, to, let's go to the first century just for a moment. Let's go there because all of what you know about the Good Samaritan, let's just put that to the side just for the moment because we're going to ask this question in this context. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Let's go to the next slide, please. It says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down. Everyone say the word down. Down. Okay, let's suspect the text here. Let's take this apart a bit. A man was going down from where? Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by what? Robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replies with this question. This is the first verse we're going to look, look, look into, and we'll take it apart a bit. This is the first verse. Have a look at this again. A man was going down, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we don't know where this man is from. We do know it's a man, by the way but we don't know where he is from. All we know, where is he headed from? He's heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. By the way, it's a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. Has anyone ever been here where we're talking about? I know you've got a few hands. So this place actually exists. There are people who have actually been to this place. Now, it's, uh, there's a lot of curves here. There are a lot of bends. It's windy. And we do know you go down. It descends. And so he finds himself being mugged by who? Robbers, a group of bandits, they strip him, they beat him, they abandon him, they leave him naked and half dead. Have you ever experienced a half dead person? It's pretty gruesome. Now, two ways to recognize who this man could possibly be. By the clothes that he's wearing and also by his accent. I love accents, don't you? I go to New Zealand and they don't think, they think, they don't think they've got an accent. <laughs> And so there are two ways in this particular context you can tell by the clothes that they're wearing. But this guy's naked, right? He's naked and he's half dead. So is he a Jew or is he an enemy? We have no idea. What we do know about this man is he is about to die. The story goes on in verse 31, says this. A priest, this is the next character that's being introduced to the story. We've got the man, 
We've got the, the robbers, and this is the next. This is the priest that's coming into the story. Happened to be going where? Down the same road. And when he saw the man, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. This is the priest. Now, scholars believe that majority of police lived in the city of Jericho. They worked in, um, in the temple, of course, in Jerusalem. They were two weeks on and two weeks off. They were sacrificing animals, and they were helping people atone for their sins. So after two weeks, full-on two weeks, they were heading home. Why would a man of God who reads his Bible, who works in the house of God, do absolutely nothing? Going from God's house, going from God's presence, passes by this man who was half dead and naked on the road. Would he have had that attitude? Well, this is not my ministry. This is... This is um, not one of my people. This is not my responsibility. See, he's clocked off. He's no longer on duty. Dinner awaits him. He has this sign around his neck. How's that camera angle? Here we go. He has this sign around his neck that says, do not disturb. Wouldn't you kind of have a scratching head of the moment where you say you would expect somebody like him, like a priest who would take a little bit more care with humanity, but he passed by. Or, theologians in the room, or would it be this? Is it how he actually ranks the laws? Is it how he understands the Torah? For him, it's not actually about loving his neighbor. It's actually about being holy. You see, if he gets off his horse and he touches this man, he will be what you call ceremonially unclean. And if he becomes ceremonially unclean, that means he's going to have to return back to the temple. What does that mean? He's going to be mocked. He's going to be shamed. He's going to be ripped apart that you could not do your job good enough. And you couldn't remain holy. And he's kind of going, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Then it introduces the second character. This second character, let's have a look in verse 32. It says this, So to a Levite, a Levite, when he, had, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now, Andrew Morris tells, us, tells me that a Levite, this next character, he was a support walker, worker. Andrew calls him a, 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 a temple roadie. A temple roadie. <laughs> this is the kind of person, a Levite, who would work in the temple, but they'd carry the wood and they'd clean up after the sacrifice and likely once again to be headed home following his boss. And he gives the same reaction, passed by on the other side. Go to the second line just there for a moment. You see that? To the place, and what did he do? He, he did see him. It says he, that he saw him. That's an important word right there. We'll come back to that in a moment. So he's likely to be headed home following his boss, and he gives the same reaction. Do not disturb. You see, this Levite knew that his boss was going to go before him, was before him. How does he rank the laws? So we ask the question, is it loving God and loving my neighbor? Or is it loving God and being holy? You see, underneath all of this, what the Levite is actually asking is this, what did my boss do? 
what did my boss do? Because my boss, well, he's the priest. He's, he's the one who went before me. If I do anything, if I go against, you know, he's, he's decided. If the priest passed by, so will I. There's, there's some insight here with Jesus, what he's teaching here, and they're gathering around at this table, and Jesus is teaching them this story of the Good Samaritan, because Jesus knew, as he was sharing this story, that the expert in the law would know that the law would require them to be helpful and merciful. So Jesus knew they're actually breaking the law by simply passing by. The story continues. Jesus introduces the next character into the story. No one else, by the way, would have used this character. A priest, yes. A Levite, yes. A lay Jew, yes. A lay person, yes. But definitely not. Definitely not a Samaritan. Definitely not a Samaritan. In fact, um, Jews despised Samaritans. Why? Well, Jews were proud of their ethnic purity. You see, they, they were the real descendants. They were the real descendants of Abraham. And the Samaritans were considered less than. They were viewed as members of a wayward cult. And so their theology was viewed as de defective. And so they kind of asked the question, what's a Jew to learn about God from a Samaritan? And so they had that that sense, as Jesus was telling this story, they kind of sat back a little bit. <laughs> what? We can't stand Samaritans. You can imagine the conversation unfolding. And it does unfold. In verse 33, it says this. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he what? When he saw him, he took pity on him. Into the story enters a Samaritan. Yes, with his impure ethnic background and his defective theology. But when he sees this man, when he sees this half-dead person beaten on the side of the road, something within his humanity recognized this is not a time to hang a do not disturb sign around your neck and ignore the need. No, this requires action. This requires compassion. And so let's remember... This, these important words as we suspect the text here this morning. What did the priest do? The priest saw him, but he kept going. The Levite saw him, but he kept going. But the Samaritan sees him and takes pity on him. I have a question for us this morning. Why is it, why is it, why is it that we opt for a Christianity that avoids noticing that we are surrounded by half-dead people, beaten up life, beaten up by life? But the miracle, well, part of the miracle is by what, when, and how we see. It's part of the miracle, because the story goes on. And it says in verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. What did the Samaritan do? He decided to be proactive and do something about this. In fact, he touched the dirt. He touched the blood. He touched the wounds, and he poured on oil and wine. What's that about? What was meant for God in the, in the, in the temple that day is now for healing this man. He pours oil and wine onto his life. And what does he do next? He puts him on his own donkey. When you put somebody on your own donkey, that's a sign of servanthood. And what he's saying here is that I'm serving you. 
And because no one at the top of the hierarchy would ever stand next to a donkey because that says, I'm here to serve. I will serve you. And that's what he's doing. I'm here to serve you. I will walk alongside you. And what does he do? He goes to the inn and he sits down alongside him by his bedside. Overnight, the story goes on and says this in verse 35, the next day, the next day, signifies he hung, he hung in there overnight. He took out two denarii, which he's going to pay, right? And gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. The Samaritan pays for him. He leaves him to be taken care of and promises that he will return. I'm asking you a question this morning. Who does this sound like? It sounds a lot like to me, Jesus Christ. It sounds like a lot like to me the good news. It sounds a lot like to me the gospel. And the gospel is good news. Whilst we laid abandoned, whilst we laid hopeless in the sight of eternity, spiritually, Jesus came and he paid for us and he nursed us and he gave us eternity and he promised that he would return and the good Samaritan is a picture of Christ but he isn't done yet another question looking at the expert at the law he says this in verse 36 to 37 and this is where the story ends he says this which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers that's the question the expert in the law replied Where's, where's the Samaritan mentioned here? Why doesn't he say the, it was the Samaritan? It was that bad, the relationship and the connection and that between these two. He could not even say Samaritan. Just press pause there for a moment. For some of us, this is a story about enemies. For some of us, can't even say our own enemy's name. And that's serious. That is really serious. And I'm inviting you to seek help. If that is the case for you, that's just free, and that's to the side at the moment. Let's come back to the story. The expert in the replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go then. Go and do likewise. The end of the Good Samaritan story. Now, let's just reflect here for a moment. Let's just reflect. What does this mean for us today? That was the context then. What does this mean today? What is it all about for us today? As we bring this four-week 2020 vision series into landing, this is a story. I'm going to wrap this up by saying this. How wide is your everyone? How wide is your everyone? We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks just in case you're wondering what I'm meaning by this. Because Jesus is making a declaration that his disciples won't just love people who look like them, who act like them, but love them, who love what they're against, who will love their enemies. Welcome to the kingdom of God. That's what his kingdom's about. You see, it isn't safe. It isn't necessarily easy. And it isn't always comfortable. But this is our context for the next five years as we go deeper in our discipleship with Jesus to strengthen new muscles, 
and to grow in our dependency in him. See, one of the reasons the parables of Jesus have had such an impact, and they have on Western civilization especially, is that the way they've communicated through art, which takes us beyond words alone. Have a look at this. Although maybe a little hard for you to see this morning. Let me explain what's going on here. Vincent van Gogh, Goff, however you'd like to say it, he captured something very special in this particular art piece. The priest is in the background, the Levite is in the foreground. Departing the scene. While the Samaritan heroically struggles to find assistance. Yes, he lacked the ethnic purity and he worshipped with a defective theology, but his response of compassion and commitment caused the kingdom of heaven to touch earth that day. So as we reflect on this, I want to ask just a couple of questions as we come into landing here this morning. How come when I encounter people whose theology isn't as good as mine, that they love people more than I do sometimes? Is it possible for our theology to be sharp and our worship to be wonderful, yet choose to pass by the pain of life? If we are willing if we are willing to pour out our oil and to pour out our wine, maybe 2020, maybe 2020, may become a reality. Okay, well, let's, let's get honest for a moment. Let's, let's be real because we understand, well, we certainly live in a community where we don't tend to find people half dead on the side of the road, but we are surrounded by half dead people beaten up by life, struggling for so many reasons to survive in this fragile and uncertain world. And here's what's on our road to Jericho. Have a look. If you and I were to walk down the streets in which you and I live, you and I would encounter these things, sometimes the whole list of things in one home. And we're asking the question, how is our organizational Good Samaritan going? When it comes to this list, Are we going to step up and into and be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in this fragile and uncertain world? Yet hidden by the mask of middle class sufficiency, we don't see it. May God help us. May God help us. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, a band-aid solution is most useful, the most useful thing we can do because it can be a first step in a journey of hope and transformation. You see, good works creates goodwill and opens hearts for the good news. What about the donkey? Let's go to the donkey for a moment. Let's go to the donkey. The donkey in this story was profoundly helpful 
profoundly helpful, carrying loads and helping people make journeys that they just could not make alone. Without sounding insulting, that's what I'm inviting each of us to become. Good little donkeys. Stage prop now. Forget the hair. Now, I know it's not a donkey. Hang in there. I couldn't find a donkey. (laughs) Now, you may not be a teacher. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a counselor. But you have a heart for people to get to a place of hope and transformation. And I, we want to help each of us become good donkeys, assisting others along the hope pathway. I don't know what this looks like. Hello, everyone live streaming. (laughs) But Jesus said he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to the inn and he took care of him. He didn't try to care. This is a key thing. This is a key thing. He didn't try to care beyond his own capacity. He made sure that he was connected. He was connected with the same kind of care that he and his donkey were able to provide. So he was a link in the chain, maybe not the end of the chain. He was a link in the chain. He was helping. And you know what? Helping people can become very expensive. See, if you and I, we embrace this 2020 vision, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us time and it's going to cost us emotionally. Yet like any good donkey, we're going to feel the weight of the responsibility and the price tag that comes with caring for people. And to give you a heads up, it may get a little messy around here, but it's God's mess. And it's the mess that he wants to clean up and heal. You see, we can pass by, we can go on the other side, we can hang a do not disturb sign on the front of our lives or on the front of our church, or we can begin to see and we can begin to decide that we're going to do this together in community and help people respond effectively and appropriately. And if we do, if we do, and if we do, Door of Hope, heaven may also touch earth in Launceston the way we did, the way it did in this parable. Is anybody in this morning? Here endeth the lesson. (laughs) Let's go to the last slide. It's this. I want to ask you this question before I've got another question for you that I want to show you via a clip, by the way. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him. Door of hope, here endeth the lesson. Go and do likewise. Growing hope, growing invitations, and growing mercy, and also looking a bit like, a little bit like a donkey. In Jesus' name, amen.